this notion of uncertainty. When you really think about it, fear of the unknown and fear of uncertainty is something that can bring a lot of people to their knees. But you know, confidence doesn't come from having all the answers. Confidence comes from knowing that you can respond, having the ability to adapt to rapidly changing situations. The reality of life is that nothing worth doing has 100% safety. Everything that we engage in in life, living life in general, comes with it risk. The concept is not to try to seek an environment that is completely free of risk. It's to be able to navigate knowing that you can respond to surf those waves and manage the flow. You're a man living in the modern world in a time when men and manhood are not what they once were. You live life on your own terms. You're self-sufficient. You think for yourself and you march to the beat of your own drum. When life knocks you down, you get back up because in your gut, you know that's what men do. You're a badass and a warrior. And on the days when you forget, we are here to remind you who you really are. Welcome to Sovereign Man Podcast, where we aim to make men masculine again. I'm your man, Nikki Baloo, and I'm here with a very special guest, Sam Rosenberg of Live Ready. Welcome to the show, Sam. Nikki, how are you? I'm blessed and grateful, brother. Good to have you here, Sam. We're living in dangerous, perilous times, Sam. We've got war in Europe for the past 18 months. We now have war in the Middle East. And there's folks who think that there may be war in the Far East if China decides to invade Taiwan. And all of this is raising the level of anxiety among the general populace. And it also begs the question for men in particular, how can I, as a man, take care of that which matters most to me, my family, my community, my country? And I think you're the right man to tackle this question right now. What say you, brother? I appreciate that, Nikki. I mean, there's no, de- there's no doubt in my mind at all. I mean, or anyone else's that we are living in really interesting times and, you know, we're living in a great deal of uncertainty. Um, you know, one of the things that I have, have looked at over the many years teaching personal protection, protecting people and teaching them how to protect themselves uh, over the last 25 years is this notion of uncertainty. And when you really think about it, you know, fear of the unknown and fear of uncertainty is something that can bring a lot of people to their knees, you know, and we get this, this anxiety that occurs. But, you know, confidence doesn't come from having all the answers. Confidence comes from knowing that you can respond and having the ability to adapt to rapidly changing situations. And that is something that I've spent my entire life effectively uh, trying to master myself and also being able to help other people master. Um, So, you know, Live Ready is all about that. It's not about being perfect. It's not about... Um, having all the answers to every situation and sort of being solving people's problems. It's about making people problem solvers. And that's actually one of the things that my book, my new book, Live Ready, uh, you know, a guide to protecting yourself in an uncertain world is all about. And that's something that, you know, I think I know resonates with you, Nikki, and I appreciate you having me on to talk about it. You know, I like that phrase, making people problem solvers, because we're living in a time where most people are wimps, man. They don't 
solve problems. They whine. They complain. You know, I've been reading um, a book by a fellow named Ethan Hawke. He uh, is an actor, right? Mm-hmm. And it's called Rules for a Night. It's a, it's a very small book. And there's a line in that book that a knight, and I'd say a man, concerns himself with affecting change, not with burdening the world with his grievances. But that's not the world that we mostly live in right now, right? People are are complaining and burdening the world with their grievances. So talk to me about how you equip folks and talk to me more than about just how you equip folks, how you exhort men to go out there and be problem solvers and not whining little babies. That's a great question. So, you know, from my standpoint, I think that quote is fantastic and it's spot on. You know, we, we've all known for a long time now, we are living literally in the age of entitlement. All right. And this idea of the age of entitlement, from my perspective, is that everyone thinks that they're entitled to everything. They're entitled to safety. They're entitled to, to they want to be rich. They want to be famous. Everybody thinks that they have, you know, some capacity that they're so special that they can, you know, achieve these things without necessarily a lot of effort. And that, that outrage and sort of the, uh, the, the culture that we've grown into this idea of cancel culture and everything else is just offshoots of this. There's sort of cancerous growths of this. And, you know, from my standpoint, you know, what it really comes down to is taking full responsibility, right? You know, not only of your own circumstances, but, you know, from the standpoint of the, the domain that I really exist in is in the personal security domain. And one of the reasons why I like the personal security domain as one that, you know, if you look at sort of, um, you know, critical factors that if you address one factor in your life and it makes all the other factors better, uh, to me, the concept of owning your own personal security is one of them because it makes you live in the world and interact with people in a different manner. And it, it, it enables you to really say to yourself, you know, listen, there, there are lifeguards out there, but I need to know how to swim. You know, I need to know how to operate in this environment. Uh, people like Jordan Peterson have said this, you know, that it's critical to become dangerous. And, you know, he's been widely criticized by, you know, in many ways, the sort of the weak element of the society that, that, that is afraid of that idea of being dangerous. But what he talks about in being dangerous is not just having the capacity for violence, but having the capacity for violence, for example, and keeping it strictly under control. And that's really, in many ways, what men and manhood is all about. You know, we are born protectors. You know, we are designed to be protectors. And I think that when you take the notion that we can be protective uh, away from men, it undermines the entire integrity of who we really are. And it, it, it changes the psychology dramatically. And this is not to say that women cannot be protective. They certainly are. And they absolutely are. In fact, I've met some women and I've actually talked many times. I, I've, I've Many of my clients are women and of the tens of thousands of people I've taught, certainly half of them or more are women. I've always looked at it and said, you know, men will hurt you, but women will utterly destroy you if you cross certain thresholds. And, you know, one of those thresholds is the idea of protecting their children. So it's not that this is just about men in terms of the capacity for protection. Everybody has it. But it comes down to whether we're talking men or women, but in particular men, this idea of truly owning that responsibility. Listen, uh, a mama bear is the most dangerous creature on earth. You, you know, yeah. you get between her and her cubs. There's absolutely no question about it. But um, 
one of the things that sovereign man exists to do is to push back against this whole notion that we need to um, always apologize for being a man, always apologize for saying that men are a certain way. That means we got to immediately qualify it and say a woman's got to be, can be that way too. Well, mm-hmm. listen, here's the truth. Any human being can, if they choose to, take on certain characteristics. And we got to understand that that's true. But there's no question that if you're looking at it at a macro level, in the aggregate, Mm -hmm. there are characteristics that men have that are more associated with men than they are with women. And one of them is being a protector. Being a protector. I don't expect my wife uh, to go down if there's a loud noise in the middle of the night. I don't expect her to go down and confront the intruder. That's my freaking job. You know what I'm saying? Now, does that mean she can't do it? No. Does that mean she won't do it if need be? No, but it's my job. And part of what we've got to do, you know, this generation entitled that you talked about is one that needs to be knocked silly. You know, we got to knock some sense into them because if we don't, I fear for the future of the human race. Yeah, I agree with you 100 percent, Nikki. You know, we are built differently. It's as simple as that. And 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 to, to just to, to to reflect back what you just said, it's not that we can't all do a lot of different things, but the reality is we're just built differently and wired differently. And and I have always had a major issue with this sort of war on masculinity that is going on culturally. It's part of the culture war, and you know this idea that it's you know this toxic masculinity concept. You know. When men are men, they are the best that they can be, right? They become protectors. They become more gentle. They become more confident, less reactive. It's truly when men are weak that they become very dangerous, right? And they become, you know, revengeful and they become sort of, um, you know, all of the negative dynamics of character disorder that is, is there in people who simply, you know, have a hard time living in this world and who act out in violent ways. And it's not usually strong men who are, for example, abusing people. It's weak men who are trying to abuse, uh, you know, their spouses or what have you. I mean, it's, it's critical to get back to some basics of really enabling men to be men and, and really encouraging the, the masculine qualities that we've always subscribe to as a society. You know, this idea of, if I can share a story with you, okay. So I had an interesting experience where several years ago, you know, we, I built a training facility. We, we decided that part of what we want to do is build a larger training facility. So we built a training facility that had, it encompassed not only all the self-defense stuff we did, but it had a retail element. It had an indoor range. You know, we had the ability to train holistically across all these skill sets and ultimately it didn't work. And we closed it early in COVID. What the story really has to do is what was the moment we put a shovel in the dirt, we started to build this place. There is an enormous, um, if you will, not enormous, it was a very small number of people, but they had a very loud voice that were attempting to, in the, in the early nature of cancel culture, come after me personally. They were trying to attack me. And I've always prided myself, Nikki, on being someone who can communicate with anyone. You know, like, let's sit down and have a conversation. I think we'll find that we're more alike than, dis- than, than dissimilar. 
and we can find common ground. And, and what was interesting was these folks, mostly women, did not want to talk to me about this. You know, the leader was actually a nun. It was kind of funny. But the concept here was they, they chose to attack me personally and try to really destroy my character and destroy my reputation. They tried to say things like I was racist and uh, that I was an Islamophobe and all this kind of stuff. They went to my Facebook page and they saw things that I had posted about ISIS or whatever. And they said, this is proof positive that this guy is, is a hateful you know, person. And you know nothing could be further from the truth. But the reality of it is, was very disruptive. And I started thinking about why these folks didn't want to talk to me and what the deal was. And I came to the conclusion that they, they really weren't like anti-gun. That was kind of on the surface of it. What they were was they were anti-self-defense, okay? And there's a different idea there. That they, they rejected this idea that why should you have the ability, the capacity, and the willingness to actually be a protector? When I'm helpless, there was this sort of like dichotomy. And I thought about it over a long period of time, and I actually came to an even greater conclusion, Nikki, that they're not just anti-self-defense. They're actually anti you know, individualism, right? There's this, there was this dynamic that I represented to them, the patriarchy or whatever you want to call it. I represented everything about this notion of rugged individualism that our nation was founded and developed on. And that is the basis for virtually every great society and every great endeavor is the notion of this rugged individualism as I'm going to go do it, this can-do mentality. And it was like, if you're not part of the collective, you need to be as equally weak and as equally dependent on the law enforcement community and the government and the collective for safety. How dare you try to step outside of that that role, that umbrella? And it was amazing to me because this is why we could never actually sit down and have a conversation. They refused because there was no logic to it. It was entirely this almost cultural dynamic of how dare you be who you are. And, and it was a very um, loud, if you will, very in your face, very hurtful, spiteful kind of engagement with this. Now it all went away, but the concept is ultimately, what do you do? You just go about your life, right? Um, but the concept here is that it was a firsthand understanding of just a profoundness of the level of commitment, the almost ideological commitment to this extreme mentality that men are bad. Anyone who wants to protect themselves is bad. Anyone who wants to stand up for their own self and be left alone, just leave me alone to do my thing, right? If you don't subscribe to our way of thinking, you've got a problem. And, and it literally at the root of it, at the root of it, I'm convinced, Nikki, was the same mentality of uh, this kind of collective, this entitlement, this mentality of toxic masculinity, all those judgments. Well, you know, it is a reflection of the cultural Marxism that um, the Soviet Union back in 1917 unleashed upon America and the West. Willie Munzenberg, who was a uh, contemporary of Vladimir Lenin's, was charged with coming to the West and beginning to uh, attempt to demoralize and destroy America in particular, but all Western democracies from within. And it was a multi-decade effort to basically mm -hmm. teach us that up is down and down is up. 
And then in 1980, a man named Yuri Bezmenov, who was with the KGB, he was a defector. He came and he basically laid out the KGB's plan in a series of interviews. If you go on YouTube, you can see this man's um, I think I've seen conversation. Them. And yeah. these people are what Vladimir Lenin called useful idiots, yeah. willing accomplices, because they don't, they, they're so um, caught up. They've been so demoralized and brainwashed that they don't understand how messed up their thinking is. And the honest truth is, all you can do with these folks is stand firm against them, tell them to go screw themselves. I'm just going to say it you know, a bit more bluntly, tell them to go fuck themselves and mm-hmm. move forward with what you got to do. Because free men are the only hope the world has. Free, yep. strong men. If strong military age men don't stand up for our way of life, we're fucked. We're yep. fucked. You know, I'll tell you. we will fall to the forces of darkness and that cannot happen. No. It cannot happen. Nikki, I'll tell you, if you actually think about it, you know, again, going back to this, my own personal experience, this is just one example of this, something that I philosophically discussed and thought about a lot. But if you actually think about it, it's all rooted in deep-seated fear. It's rooted in this idea, this this total, as we started today, this idea of uncertainty that they want to have a perfectly bubble-wrapped society where everybody's safe and everybody's fine and nothing bad ever happens. And this utopia that they seek or that they really want has never existed in the entire history of all life on this planet. It doesn't exist. It cannot exist. It fundamentally cannot exist. And, you know, again, not to bring it back to this notion of live ready, okay, but my whole philosophy and my whole book and everything that I teach is a simple embracing of the reality of life, right? The reality of life is that nothing worth doing, you know, has 100% safety, okay? You know, everything that we engage in in life, living life in general, comes with it risk, Okay. And the concept is not to try to seek an environment that is completely free of risk. It's to be able to navigate and to operate within that environment of risk, knowing that you can respond, knowing that you have the capacity to, 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 to surf those waves and manage the flow. And, you know, the, the thing is these skills are not born, right? You, you just, if we bring it full circle here, how do you be a man in today's world? These skills are not born. They're developed and they're developed in a whole variety of ways. You know, obviously, traditionally, we use sports, we use teamwork, we use, you know, the military training, we use martial arts, we use all kinds of different endeavors, hunting, um, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the type of classic activities that a lot of people have grown up with in some capacity or another. We learn from other men, right, as iron sharpens iron. And the idea here, though, is that being able to systematically stay on the path is challenging because virtually every factor in our society and around the globe, in many other ways, many other countries worse than we are here, try to pull us off that path. You know what I mean? They, they, they want to get us to abandon the hard road for the easy path of the collective it's just easier to go with the flow instead of to, to stand against the wind. You know, we'll just go this way and get along, you know, go along to get along and just never open our mouths, never offend anyone. And God forbid you should say something that, that the collective wants to come after you for. 
Well, I'm in the business of pushing and offending people. That's what I do for a living. You know, inside of my coaching work, um, I'm not a soft coach. Like when I coach people, I'm in the business of pushing you. And when people say, I don't want to be pushy, I go, that's ridiculous. You know, inside my world, I've got to push people. I got to push them out of their comfort zone. I got to get them to do things they otherwise wouldn't be willing to do. And in terms of offending people, having a having a podcast for men that is unapologetically masculine and pro-manhood is offensive to all the weak men and weak women and weak whatevers of the world. I don't give a shit. You, you literally stand and like in the veil of your tears, man. Fuck you is the way I see it. You, I mean, Nikki, you literally, everything you stand for stands in the direct opposition of this dynamic of, you know, we, we all have to just be beta males, right? Which I refuse, you know, obviously, and, and you do too. And there, there's a lot of us out there. Um, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think that the society is lost. I think that we're heading in the wrong direction in a lot of ways, but I think there's a lot of us out there, Nikki. There are a lot of us out here. And one of the reasons Sovereign Man exists, and Sam, you ought to come to one of our meetings over Zoom. You ought to check us out because we, um, we're we all about uplifting manhood and masculinity. It's not a business group. It's a men's group. It's very yeah. different from that. Count uh, me in. Bro. Yeah, come on down. Um, we got a meeting uh, day after tomorrow, 7.30 Eastern. I'll send you an invite. Come check it out. But it's it's what it's yeah. all about. And men today need other men. There is nothing like being with other men. There, the world has become so damn feminized. There's not spaces where men can go and just let their hair down and be with other men and not worry about uh, offending somebody, not worry about doing something that isn't right in front of women because you shouldn't do certain things in front of women. We need mm-hmm. those spaces. We need to go yeah. and do sports together. We need to go and, and you know do martial arts together. We need to be in the military together. We need to hunt together. We need to, single men need to go out and go to bars together and, and check out girls, all, all that stuff. It, it's super, super fucking important. Um, and without it, um, you're losing something essential. The source of your power as a man is that masculine energy. And that masculine energy can only come out when you're regularly interacting with men, masculine men, not feminized men. Look, I love my woman. I love my kids. Don't don't get me wrong, okay? And I love hanging out in mixed company. It's great. But there are times I just need to be with my men. I need to do shit with men, you know? Yeah, sometimes you just get a circle up around a campfire. You know what I mean? We do that a lot. Every couple of weeks in Toronto, we do that. We do Zoom meetings. We do the, the campfires. Um, yeah. My son's soccer team, me and a few of the, the fathers, we, we went into the woods and we brought some wood and we made a fire and we dropped a, um, we dropped a big cast iron skillet, a large cast iron skillet, a 17 inch. Mm-hmm. Okay. On top of that fire, I threw in some beef tallow. We started cooking steaks, burgers, awesome. vegetables out there in, 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 in the Making woods. Dude, man, it was <laughs> awesome. We've done that. We've done That's that like three times, man. It's been straight See, I throw up. A cigar into that mix and some bourbon and it, you know, I'm good to go, brother. Well, with 16 and 17 year old cigars and bourbon are out. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying, man. It, it's uh, it, it's what men need to do. I think it's super, super important. And so tell us a bit about the book. You know, um, why'd you write it? Uh, 
why should people read it and how they can get a hold of it? So I, I wrote the book. Um, there is a, it, it, it represents, the book represents the most important lessons learned that I have learned over the last 25 plus years, protecting people at the highest levels and teaching them how to protect themselves. So from being a bodyguard and a you know, close protection specialist for executives and celebrities and people in life-threatening situations, heads of state, you name it, um, encountered a lot of different situations. Um, I decided to write this guy because what I really wanted was not so much of an ego standpoint, some kind of legacy, but I wanted to make sure that there was a format available for people to, to receive and digest this information efficiently. And uh, I have spent a lot of time on this. And it's been about three years worth of nonstop work to get this book to completion. It's been very well received so far. I've got, uh, you know, my friend, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, uh, who's written the, the best-selling author of On Combat and On Killing, which as far as I'm concerned, On, on Combat is, you know, second to the Bible, you know, in terms of my line of work and everything, anyone who is in this type of field. And, you know, he wrote an incredible forward and was very, you know, very effusive in his praise, which was very kind. And a number of other people as well have come behind it as well. So I'm, I'm encouraged that the book actually accomplishes the objective, that it really gets the information out there. Um, you know, when I decided to write the book, I had a very specific kind of secondary goal, if you will, not a, not a secondary goal, but uh, laws that I wanted to put in place when I was writing it. I wanted to make sure that everything that I wrote was absolutely accurate and truthful. And I wanted to make sure that the information uh, was effectively timeless, you know, that it was universal and timeless. So whether someone reading the book applied the knowledge a thousand years ago or a thousand years from now, it is the basis, if you will, for how do you recognize danger, particularly how do you read and recognize dangerous people? And are you, are they being, are they targeting you? How do you know if you're being targeted? And that's a process. And it's not often a process like someone jumping out of the bushes with a ski mask. That's what most people think. It's, it's how do you recognize people who use charm or persuasion and who are, who are masters of, of, of deception, if you will. Um, It also goes through the process of how bad guys choose their targets. Why? Uh, and what the warning signs are that you can recognize being targeted. And, and it applies to everything. Um, I teach a class at Slippery Rock University. And last night we broke down the Hamas attack, uh, a horrific, uh, just absolutely vulgar attack uh, on 10-7 of this year. And, but we looked at it from the models that are in the book and we talked about every stage of it. And I said, do you see how every stage going up to this attack and functionally the attack itself follow this process that I've laid out, this four-step process of how bad guys universally behave. Um, And it goes into the process of really teaching people why we are never helpless in the face of violence or difficult situations, uncertainty, you know, what factors are that we control and that those factors are something that once you understand what you can control and you understand which ones never to relinquish control of. You have a level of control over your life, a level of certainty around your own security and your family's security that you really just can't find any other way that I've found. Um, So I, I wrote this book specifically to address those things and to effectively teach all of the lessons that are simply either instructors out there don't know how to teach 
They don't know this information. They don't know how to teach it or that people know they intuitively want. They want to understand these things, but they don't know where to get it. Um, it's what I consider to be the software. It's the soft skills that back up and are the most important facets to the hardware. You know, physical tactics are secondary. You know, it's not about teaching how to be a ninja. It's about making sure you can think under pressure and make decisions. And it addresses all of the facets of why we freeze, what are the components that are around us that, that inhibit us from recognizing danger, how we recognize it, what do we do if we actually find ourselves being targeted, and then even at the end, how do you select the right physical training so that you can kind of carry on on this warrior path, if you will, to be a stronger, more capable human. I really appreciate all this. I'm looking forward to getting my signed copy, Sam, hint, hint. And uh, I got to tell you what else. Um, I would really like, if you could, break down this Hamas attack on the state of Israel in, into these four uh, stages of the attack, because I'm very curious to see what those four stages are. Yeah. So, you know, when, when we take that piece of the puzzle out, what we're really talking about here is, is what I call the timeline of violence, okay? Um, the word time is an acronym that I use, and time stands for target selection, interview or intelligence gathering or intelligence phase, if you will, method of attack, and then escape exploitation. And, you know, when we look at it from the standpoint of Hamas, what we saw there very clearly, you know, now we're looking at it after the fact, right? We see the evidence. What we see here is clearly a very careful target selection. You know, they knew exactly where they were going to go and who they were going to attack. They knew that they were going to attack the most vulnerable populations. They knew that they were going to attack the concert. They knew they were going to attack uh, villages and kibbutzes and, you know, places that could not functionally or simply would be unable to defend themselves. They chose the timing of the attack around a Jewish holiday, you know, specifically knowing that most people, you know, would either be in synagogue or many people would be or simply not you know, sort of be prepared. Um, and what we saw there was there was clearly a method of attack in mind. I mean, we saw that attack was very, very sophisticated in its nature. So sort of jumping to the M of time and the sophistication of that attack, you know, paragliding over the wall, right? How are they going to breach the, tar the, uh, the, the barriers and the security, um, the level of equipment and uh, firepower that the individual Hamas if you will, uh, terrorists, you know, individually carried into the country to execute these attacks. Uh, the, the reports that there were something like 1,500 boots on the ground, you know, terrorists actually committing these atrocities. Um, the use of heavy machinery to, to break down barriers in the wall to gain access. I understand that there was even drones being used to disrupt the technology that the Israelis had that would allow for early detection of contact and, uh, you know, attempts to breach the wall. So there was enormous amount of sophistication to the attack itself. And all of that points back to this eye of time, which is the phase in which we want to try and thwart attacks before they happen. That eye of time is where all the pre-operational planning is happening, the intelligence processes, the, the training and the rehearsals, uh, despite the propaganda you know, the, this, this hateful, anti-Semitic, anti-Israeli propaganda that has just run rampant 
of people claiming that this is just people walking out of their open air prison, which is ridiculous. Um, this was not a spontaneous event. This took months at the minimum, likely years in planning, development, training, rehearsals, you know, before this attack was launched because it was spectacularly successful in their outcomes, which is the exploitation phase where they were managed. They managed not only, not only to, to capture and to, to kidnap and take hostages, not only murder babies and rape women and murder innocents, you know, elderly people in the most egregious and grotesque manners possible. Um, but the, the objective that they had ultimately was to create a war. They wanted this reaction. They knew that this could have no other reaction than a, a massive response. And the idea here is that obviously when we look at it from a global perspective, slipping a little bit off of the, of the uh, timeline of violence component of this, but if we just look at it at the macro level globally, there's two facets that I've learned over the years that are interesting when it relates to Islamic terrorism. The first is that it's, it's, a, it's a phenomena that is not so much in many ways sort of radicalizing Muslims, okay? What it is is a phenomena of taking people who are already radicalized and giving them an ideology, right? And the idea there is now you've got this mechanism here where this ideology is ideally suited for people who want to hurt, rape, kill, murder, and cause these kinds of horrific types of behaviors. The idea here is that I think you and I both, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but my, me personally, I've known people from all walks of life. I am absolutely convinced that let's just be reasonable and say at least half of the people in, in Gaza want nothing but peace and want to just, they want their kids to grow up and, and live and prosper. And they, they hope for that, right? They don't want this going on. Certainly in the West, that's what we want, right? Most of the people in most countries want to see that. The idea here is that when you look at an organization like Hamas, that's physically keeping their own people in place to use as human shields and taking away their ability to even flee, you know, the war zone, you know, we're seeing a manifestation of evil that has a purpose. And this is the second component on the macro level is that the purpose, as I understand it, of true Muslim extremism, you know, Islamic extremism and terrorism is an attempt to, to generate, if you will, by virtue of atrocity, a global war. And the global war is supposed to be us versus them. Okay, that is, that is the basic nature of it. So what you have here is, if we commit such atrocities, the reaction from those who we have victimized will be so great that there will be violence against Muslim people all over the world, and it will trigger this sort of polarity where now it's the Muslim world against the West, and the non-radical Muslims will now sort of have to fall in line and support the cause. That's sort of the macro level of the Islamic jihadist movement. And it's, it's been in pockets all over, the most extreme examples being things like Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Boko Haram, now, now Hamas. Hamas has always been a problem, but this is a next level. They've embraced and celebrated this to a point where they must be absolutely, utterly eradicated. Um, I personally think of this type of uh, manifestation of evil 
wherever it props up in the world, it's a cancer on humanity, right? And, and all of humanity, quite frankly, should rally together and say, this cannot be stood for, just like Nazi Germany. It just cannot exist. And it, it goes against everything that any decent person wants to see. And it goes against everything we all stand for as decent people, such that it has to be removed from the society. And that's the only way in which we're going to be able to address this long term is you just can't make peace, you know, if you will, with people who have no objective. They don't want peace. They, their objective is to murder you, your children, you know, rape your wife, you know, enslave them. You know, th this is something you can't negotiate with that. Um, you know, Nikki, I remember a long time ago, over 20 years ago, I, I was privileged to be on the protection detail of Benjamin Netanyahu when he was doing a speaking engagement. Right. And, you know, it's one of those deals where I remember Netanyahu saying is I consider him to be an incredible statesman, truly. And I use that word very specifically. And for brevity, I won't get into that. But the idea here about this is uh, I remember him saying that one of the challenges is when you're trying to have a compromise or a negotiation with someone, you both ultimately have to have the same objective. If, if I'm trying to sell my car and you want to buy my car, we're just negotiating terms. We want the both the same outcome. But when one party wants peace and the other party wants to utterly destroy you and everything you stand for in your entire way of life, there isn't even a, a, a beginning there. But I truly believe that most people around the world, whether it's Muslim, Jew, Christian, you name it, whatever, we all want to just get along for the most part if we're decent people. And, you know, this these extremist groups, they, they want to try and pull us into these extreme differences. And, and quite frankly, I'm going to make an analogy here that I don't think is that far off. The kind of people who targeted me for their own ideology, the kind of people who target exactly what this whole podcast we've talked about of you cannot be a man, you cannot have the, how dare you have this perspective? Those same kind of people, they're just as extreme in their own ideology as these extremists. And they just, they sort of like cloak themselves in this virtue signaling to be, uh, to sort of like camouflage their real intent, which is they don't want you to be who you are. They don't want me to be who I am. You know, we have to fall in line with the way they think. And if we don't, you know, we should be destroyed. And that's kind of their mentality. That was powerful, Sam. I really appreciate you. Uh, uh, you know, the name of the episode, I've changed it three times. I think the, 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 the latest name I've come up with after you told me you were Netanyahu's former protection guy is Protection Secrets of a Former Netanyahu Bodyguard Man. I mean, that's, that's, that's incredible and amazing. I have a good friend who um, I wrote a book with that uh, Colonel Grossman wrote the foreword to, Wayne Allen Root. He is a... Um, television and radio talk show host, conservative, Jewish, pro-Israel. I, I want to introduce you and see if I can get you on a show. I think it'll it'll be helpful for what you're trying to do with your book, but I think you've got a lot of value to add. And I've got some people I want to introduce you to um, that uh, I believe see things your way and are business people and would be good for me to connect you with them and, and, and vice versa. Um, Thank you, really, Yeah, yeah, of course, brother. Look, I told you, man, um, you ain't getting rid of me so easily. And I, I know we weren't able to, 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 to find a way to, 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 to move beyond the podcast at the moment, but I ain't letting you go. I'm, uh, by hook or by crook, I'm going to bring you into our community, man, whatever way it takes. You're, 
you're one of the good men in life and in the world. And I want to, I want to help you win. And this has been very valuable. I, I agree with you. Um, you know, my brother married a, a Jewish girl and I've got four Jewish nephews and nieces. So this is personal for me, uh, at that level. And anybody who doesn't want to leave other people alone to be free, to live a life, to enjoy the world that they want to be in, um, those people cannot be reasoned with, cannot be bargained with. They're like the Terminator. Remember the original Terminator yeah. movie? Remember the line from that? He can't be reasoned with. He can't be bargained with. He absolutely will not stop un until you are dead, which means that if we don't want you to be dead, we got to do what we got to do. And, and, yeah. and that's a fact. Yeah. Sam, Nikki, I got to go. I'm sorry. No, yeah. I, I got it, man. Thanks for coming on the show, man. God bless you. We'll catch you next time. Blue out. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Man Podcast. If you're ready to take charge of your life and become the man you've always wanted to be, we invite you to join the movement at SovereignMan.ca.